Hi, everybody. My name is Mike Manning. I'm one half of the Wired to Change coaching team, and that's with the number two. Trinity is on assignment this week. We are here to help you grow your business to the level you want it to be so you can enjoy the life of a small business owner. And returning for show number two, a small business owner enjoying the life of a small business owner, Mike Allen, owner of Carfix. Mike, two locations in the triangle. You're that's loving right. the small business life, aren't you? I I think I was made for it. I love it. So this, this is, this is the life for me. When somebody says small business to you, what does that mean? Oh gosh. Um, I think it means to me, a small business is a business where if any one of the team members has a problem, they can go to the top and talk to the boss and be listened to and be heard and not just be a number. So I don't know if that's a good definition, Mm -hmm. but We t- and it's different things. I call small business ownership stressful freedom because it's usually both each day at some yeah. point in time. So, we talked about on the previous episode you not wanting to get into the family business because Mike is a third generation mm-hmm. auto repair owner. Grandfather owned the, opened the first one in 1927 in White Cross. Mm-hmm. That's right. Dad owned one in Chapel Hill. Mike's yep. got two now. You talked about the the business sucked you back in like the mafia. It wouldn't let you go suck you back in at, at the point in time before you came back and you had no interest being in the family business. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about small business ownership in general? I did actually. I was, uh, I was working on high dollar decorative pool decks for people around Lake Norman, the, uh, stamped concrete in and, Charlotte. Yeah. 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 Right. So, um, I was thinking that I could I could make a go at that, and I feel like I could have, but um, you know, ultimately, uh, somebody who's got an entrepreneurial mindset can probably make a go at almost anything as long as that doesn't stifle their passion. You know, so. I agree with that. One of the things I like about what you've done with your shops is when people come in, and I'm a client, so full disclosure, and happy to be one. Uh, your guys have a white shirt and a black tie on. Yeah. Why? Well, I give them a little bit of freedom of personality. They can wear whatever kind of tie they want, but we do have a white button down and a tie on. Um, we're trying to project uh, an atmosphere of professionalism. You know, most of our clients are professionals, and they appreciate being treated as such. And people tend to uh, behave and act as they are dressed for whatever reason. So, you know, if they're wearing tattered old jean shorts and a dirty T-shirt, you know, kind of the stereotype of the mechanic that that a lot of us might have in our head, uh, that doesn't really uh, command respect and respectful communication, and it doesn't really command the people that are dressed that way to behave in a respectful way. Um, I know back in the day, and this is probably still true in some places, when I would go in to get some car work done wherever I was living and you would see the the mechanic come from the bay Mm -hmm. with a rag wiping his hands off sorry sir I was out you know doing this what do you need I never viewed it as a or rarely viewed it as a business yeah and that could have been the owner I have no idea but it was just a job or a service provided but I don't think that industry it was ever rarely was it perceived as a business, correct? It usually was the owner that was walking up with the yeah. rag. Yeah. So, uh, and yeah, I, I think it's most small independent automotive repair shops are guys who are really good mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the word now is technician. 
uh, go. really good technicians who uh, got tired of working for the man and wanted to go uh, do it for themselves. And, um, you know, one of, I'm rereading a book right now, uh, doing a book study with some friends of mine, uh, the E-Myth Revisited. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's really true. Great technician does not necessarily equal great business owner. So usually it's mm-hmm. two or three bays, one guy working 70 hours a week, scraping by, doing all the things that, you know, he knows how to work on cars, but he doesn't know how to do all the other things. So that's the typical shop. Outside of your industry, small business, you're talking to small business owners in a hundred different industries. What kind of things would you recommend they look at in their business? What would be your, their version of you getting your guys wearing a, a button down white shirt? Well, I, I, think, I think that so many, especially service-focused businesses, right, need to think about the client experience and managing the client experience. And um, I think I said this to you in a conversation maybe earlier today is, like, for my business, it's not enough to fix cars well anymore. It's not enough to be nice. And I mean, you should be nice. That's just life, right? I'm in the automotive repair business. We should fix cars well. Um, it's not enough to have a good warranty anymore. Everybody's got a good warranty or anybody worth their salt has a good warranty. You need to manage the client experience and create an experience where they don't want to go anywhere else. Uh, so if you are a roofer, you know, it's not good enough to put a good roof on anymore. There better not be any nails left in their yard for their kid to step on playing football. Um, you know, there better not be in it any inappropriate music playing on the boom box while the guys are on the roof laying, laying the new shingles, right? Nice. Uh, so you need to think about everything that the client's going to experience from their perspective, and you need to control as many of those factors and make them positive as possible. So I think that's a long way around the answering your question is manage the client experience and make it incredible, if at all possible. I did a presentation on... Uh I'm in a Facebook live group where each each Tuesday I talk about your you know the money in your business mm. for lack of a better term. And I ask people, are you a transaction or an experience? And you hit on it the previous episode, that's changing with buyers now. They want an experience. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I guess the biggest money spending segment of the population now is the millennial. Right. And they are far less materialistic than the previous generations. They are far more experiential. Mm-hmm. Right? They want the luxury things in life. They want to go travel. They want to go see and do. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to spend a ton of money to be a, lu- a luxury business. Have a clean facility. Um, have your guys, your, your people, dressed well and speak well to your clients. You know, one of the biggest things and one of the least expensive things we've done in years that has gotten the biggest response is we buy little stuffed teddy bears with a Carfix shirt on them. And anytime a client's vehicle is in and there are child safety seats in the back, each child safety seat gets a teddy bear buckled in. We don't say anything to the customer about it. Mm-hmm. And the teddy bear is holding a little card that has a little limerick uh, about wanting to keep their car safe and, you know, hope your little one enjoys this or whatever. And uh, it's left for the child to discover the next time the child gets in the car. And, it's like $5 per car that that happens with, right? Yeah. 
Uh, and it is huge. And those kids will never allow mom and dad to go anywhere else if they have <laughs> any input into it because they want to go get another stuffed bear. Oh, so you're Disney of the auto repair world. Well, that's what I want to be, I right? Like that, I'm yeah. working towards that. But, you know, it's a different stuffed animal every six months. So, yeah. you know, they, it's a collector series. You can come get them all, you know, tell mom and dad to go get the oil changed. So It's your new marketing campaign <laughs> to 12-year-olds. Yes. You talk about the experience and our, our oldest son, Travis and his wife, Sarah, but more importantly, our grandson, Oliver, lives in Charlotte. <laughs> and we we're down there about a year, I guess it was about a year ago. And on Saturday and I were like, so what are we going to do? And Travis said, well, we're going to this bar. I said, what is, what's it like? Because it's an okay bar, but our favorite food truck is going to be there. And that's their experience. Because yeah. you can buy beer, eh? I take that back. You can you can get good beer in a lot of places in North Carolina, yeah. craft beer all over the place. But that was their favorite food truck. Mm -hmm. So they f people follow food trucks. Oh, yeah, they do. Blows my mind. I've, I've actually been toying with the idea of having uh, the parking lot space of the Raleigh location used for a food truck in the evenings. So the food truck can arrive at 530 because we close at 5. And as long as they clean up and they're out of there, by the time we get there to work the next morning, that's fine. And it's going to expose so many people to our location. Right. And, you know, doesn't cost me anything. All right, so. folks, if you will go to carfixautorepair.com and leave a note from Mike, the owner, that you have a food truck and you're willing to <laughs> cut him a deal, make life easier for him, and he's more likely to call you back if you show up or you call him first. Yeah, it's a super high-traffic corner and a oh, great community. Yeah. So. Do you have room? Because your parking lot's full of cars. Well, it, it is, but I can stack. You'd be surprised how many cars I can get in the building. Oh, uh, I don't doubt space. that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. We would stack everything and double stack them in the building and that kind of thing to make space. You have two locations that we've talked about, mm -hmm. one in Garner and mm -hmm. one in Raleigh. When you bought the Garner store, who'd you buy that from? The previous yeah. the previous uh, business there was Carolina Tire and Service. Right. And it had been there for four years, I think. They were the ones who built the building. And your dad so, bought it from them. Mm -hmm. How was the negotiation between you and your dad to buy the business? Was it contentious every now and then? Did no, mom have to get involved? It was not even a little bit contentious. It was the book that I referenced in the last episode. Um, one of the understandings from that book is... 12 questions talked yeah. about multi-generational yep. business, family businesses. It established the understanding that the, the business exists for the enrichment of the shareholders. And the business is always for sale. It's just a matter of for what price and to whom. And we established that it was for sale for this price to anybody or a discounted number to me. Mm. More importantly, we agreed upon a valuation formula that we would use every year to establish the price of shares for me to buy. And so it, it you know, I then understood that this just wasn't going to be given to me. I was mm. going to have to buy it. It was dad had worked all this time, right? Um, and he deserved remuneration. So, oh, without a doubt. So, uh, and you know, the math was simple. It was agreed upon. So there was no question about what the value was. We just plugged the numbers in and the formula spit out a value. And that's what I could buy shares for. So I didn't buy it all at once. I bought a few shares a year until I got to ownership. So how long did that whole process take? Gosh, it's been 15 years now. So most of those 15 years. So I would say 12, 13. Oh, so you were, you were rent to own. You took it over. Yeah. Yeah, I was running the business almost okay. the whole time. All right. Uh, and I was an employee, and then I was a minority shareholder, and then my shares grew and grew and grew with each purchase. So, 
when a business is being sold to the next generation, do you have an idea who's more of a hard ass about it? The current generation or the wanting to buy it generation or who could, who expects the better deal? I'm sure that in most cases, the kids expect a better deal. They expect a steep discount, right? Um, I'm fortunate that our communication was so clear that it was impossible to misunderstand. Mm-hmm. I actually had written on, on the wall in my office for a long time, don't communicate so clearly as to be understood. Communicate so clearly that it's impossible to be misunderstood. There's a um, difference. And that's a quote from somebody famous. I don't remember who it was. I'm sorry. But there's a difference. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so my dad was good about that. So there was no contention between us. Um, so that helped. And you guys decided that evaluation the minute you decided, or you came up with the evaluation the minute you decided to buy it um, or that you wanted to start the process? Well, after we read that book, we said we've got to, you know, it costs so much to have a business but, uh, value made professionally and we've got to find a formula which will do that with relative accuracy because we're going to be doing it every year and you know we just did some digging in our industry and and found what some of the standards uh were and it's you know boring to talk about but it works and it's pretty accurate so when you started running the garner location Mm -hmm. you were roughly what percentage owner at the time i was zero when i started okay um and is that, but that's not when your dad retired. No, no, dad didn't retire until 2016. Right, he was still working it, but you were in charge of it? No, so dad had uh, built a business that did not require his day-to-day involvement. And so he wasn't, he would go to the shop in Chapel Hill with regularity. He'd probably spend 20 or 30 hours a week in Chapel Hill. He very rarely came to the Garner shop because I was there. Yeah. Um, and so... I commuted from Chapel Hill to Garner for a very short period of time. Then I got my wife finished school. We got married and we moved out here. And then he almost never came out to Garner because yeah. he didn't need to. Right. Um, so, so what advice, what advice do you give both ends of that deal to think about? To, and I get where the kids think, Oh, the old man's going to cut me a deal, but the old man worked his ass off or the mom yep. worked their ass off to build that and should get the fair yeah. price for it. Now, they can give you a little hometown discount, yeah. nothing wrong with that. But if it's worth a million, they can give you 10%, but they shouldn't give you 45%. Yeah, well, that's my recommendation to mom and dad. Yeah. Don't, don't give it away. Um, so I guess the advice that I would give is in family businesses and multi-generational businesses, so often there are unspoken expectations by both parties. Dad assumes that Junior is going to do X, and Junior assumes that, you know, he's just going to wait Dad out, and when Dad dies, he gets the business for free, right? Um, and they don't ever talk about those assumptions, and it creates strife and frequently destroys the business or the family dynamic. Uh, and that happens a lot in family businesses. So just really open and clear and non-contentious conversation as often as you have to have it so that you don't run the risk of, of that because family business provides so much flexibility and freedom and so many benefits when it's good. And it's just an anchor around life when it's bad. It can destroy family dynamics. It can, you know, oh, the bankrupt families. The finger yeah. pointing starts. Yeah. yeah. You don't work hard enough. You, you, you're not doing it the way that I always did it or, you know, the way you do it is wrong or, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, how much did the how much of a factor was the relationship that you and your dad had prior to starting to talk about you buying it? 
Um, we've got a great relationship, man. My dad is awesome, but our style of communication makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I mean, my wife still talks about it to this day. Uh, you know, when dad and I have a disagreement, it goes from zero to a hundred in about 10 seconds. And we go at each other with no filters. We don't, curse and scream and yell, but we talk very pointedly to each other and it makes everyone in the room really uncomfortable. And then 10 seconds later, it's like, Hey, what do you want to do for lunch? Yeah. Hey, let's go get hot dogs, yeah. you know? And yeah. we have no idea of the emotional wake we are leaving behind us and in, in our path. Uh, and you know, we turn around and everybody's staring at us wide eyed and they think that we're about to come to blows and we're over it. And you're you like, know? what, what? Did, <laughs> yeah. did we miss something? So, um, <laughs> you know, that's just the nature of our relationship. And, it's been great for us, but sometimes uh, I have to remember that everyone I'm speaking to is not my father. So I have this conversation with female friends of mine that uh, our kind, being males, we deserve all the dings we get because we're stupid. We're fun, but we're stupid sometimes. <laughs> but we can compartmentalize. It, rug, the sport of rugby is the ultimate picture of male relationships. You can beat the hell out of each other for two hours, and then everybody's drinking a beer and singing songs in the bar mm -hmm. afterwards. Yeah. We can compartmentalize, call each other, you know, whatever we want, and then, like, hey, let's go watch the game. Yeah. Whereas women, it it stays. It stays a long time. And we after an hour or a day, we're like, what, what were we fighting about the other day? <laughs> Sometimes my wife has to remind me. She goes, Mike, I'm a woman. Remember, word choice matters. You can deliver the exact same message in two completely different ways. One way you give to your dad, one way you give to me. And they have entirely different effects. It's uh, good to be reeled in every now and then. No, and I agree. And Becky and I have that same conversation because I can, I, I can compartmentalize, compartmentalize in a second and move on. It's like, oh, the game's on? Okay. Yep. Wait, we're not done. Oh, I thought we were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, we are. <laughs> when, when you officially started running the Garner store, mm -hmm and began the buyout process. Mm -hmm. When did you start thinking of a second location? I thought about it for a long time. I didn't really start putting the pieces in place until probably five years ago. Uh, and I started, uh, I made a hire of a guy by the name of Jonathan Harris, who uh, I knew had the ability to run the Garner store and brought him up and slowly trained him to do everything that I did. And slowly started exiting from the business because I knew before I could have a second location, location one needed to be able to run without me. Um, and Jonathan's a really smart dude, really applies himself. And eventually it got to the point where he bought in as a minority partner um, of the Garner location. And, uh, and he runs it to this day in a spectacular fashion. Uh, and I've got total faith that, you know, the building's not going to burn down if I'm not there. And that's key. And so, um, you know, he's going to likely be a business partner of mine in, in future locations because he has that ability. And he's a great people leader. When Trinity and I work with clients, quite often we have that conversation with them. They want to grow. And the first thing we tell them is like, all right, let's look at what your regular day, week, month is like and put it on paper and we have to backfill you. Then you can move on because yeah. you can't move, leave you can't leave your original location at 50% and you're at the new location and thinking the whole time, 
I hope Jonathan's running it okay, or I wonder if he knew this, knew that. So that's the first thing is yeah. you got to backfill yourself, right? Yeah, you get, you've got to work yourself out of a job before you can go give yourself a job at the new place. So Then once you decided, so you said about five years ago, so mm-hmm. once you decided, okay, I'm ready, mm-hmm. now what's the fir- what are the first couple things you look for? Well, one of the things I didn't realize it needed to be the first thing I looked for uh, until after I got settled into the second location, but so cliche to say location, location, location. But for, for my business, that is it. And, and the perfect example is the Garner location is a big, beautiful, modern, well-lit facility. It's a football field you yeah, sit on. It, it's, it's beautiful uh, in a terrible location it's on a dead-end road in an industrial area with no no visibility from the highway or from the road you're shrewd um <laughs> nice first and purchase. so uh and so we have an enormous marketing budget uh to drive cars down that dead-end road because we've been there for 15 years now and we still hear at least once a week i never knew you guys were back here you know and i send twenty-five thousand pieces of junk mail a month easy um but <laughs> The flip side of that is the Raleigh location is an old, beat-up, small building, um, and it's yeah. seen better days, uh, but it is on an absolute rock star corner, very high traffic, easy visibility, easy access from both roads, and a great area. Oh, uh, because you've got downtown on one side and the Beltline on the other. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I've got man. five points right there and Mordecai right there. and. Yeah. All the development that's coming from, uh, what is it? North Hills. Well, yeah. Yeah, Kane Developing Group is building a new North Hills Mm. light, right? Right behind us. So that's great. Uh, And I don't spend hardly anything on marketing. Yeah. Don't have to, right? Because of the location. Yeah. Did you put word out that you were looking? Did you find a broker? What's What's the best approach for somebody? So I, I put word out. Um, I networked a lot. I was heavily involved in uh, my chamber of commerce in the time leading up to this. And I ended up looking at, I think it was 18 other shops before we came to this one. Um, and uh, that helped a lot. But I'm also pretty heavily involved in industry associations. Mm-hmm. And so I know a lot of the local shop owners, and they know that I'm looking. So, um, you know. In a couple of instances, I've had shop owners just call me and say, hey, before I call a business broker, let's have a conversation. And so that, that I think, is proving helpful as well, networking. Yeah. If somebody's not really connected in the industry or in the community, would that be one of the first steps to building that relationship to get word out? I think so. I think if you have a strong industry association for whatever your industry is, get involved in that so you can know your peers in the area. Uh, and then be involved in the business community or immediately around you, be that through something like Business Networking International or your Chamber of Commerce, um, a rock star group, something of that effect. So yeah. you can meet, one, you'll meet other business owners, and they all have, you know, everybody I meet has their car guy, right? And so that's connections, you know, secondary connections to, to those car people. And there's also going to be a bunch of business brokers at those events because yeah. they're looking for people that want to sell or buy. Uh, and that has helped also. You found the second location. Mm-hmm. It's worked out well. Mm-hmm. So when did you have your first thought of a third location? Before the second one ever happened. Uh, I thought so. so. <laughs> I thought um, so. 
you know, we've got a plan, uh, and we're, you know, COVID slowed us down for a few months on that plan, but, uh, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to be in a third location soon. Um, but honestly, before I can make it much further than the third location, I really need to hammer down my, my processes and procedures. I need to write the book, the car fix book, right? Uh, because you're going to be married to the business if people have to call you for answers. Mm. Uh, and so I need to establish that resource for answers. Uh, and that's a work in progress. Yeah, Trinity always says if you go on vacation and your business suffers, you have a job. You don't have a business. Yeah. I'm blessed that I think I'm at the point where I can go yeah. on vacation. There you go. So. And there'll be motorcycles across the country, right? Well, not for a little while. I had to I had to park the bikes for the most part with little children, but uh, that'll be that case again soon. But yeah. uh, I, uh, I would like to, my wife and I, before we had children, we went to New Zealand and we rented a motorcycle and we rode all over New Zealand, uh, stayed in a different bed and breakfast every night. And it was amazing. So I'd like to go to New Zealand again with the kids and rent a camper and drive around New Zealand and camper. Very nice. So I think that's the future travel. Why are you giggling? I uh, know. I think it's great. I just see you lugging two kids around. It's like you and your wife. Three. That's right. Sorry. Find a sitter. Get grandma and grandpa, grandpa to watch him for like four or, you know, something. Yeah. 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 You two deserve, after raising three kids, you two might deserve a couple of weeks off. So and the kids probably would like it too. So, yeah. Yeah. And they'd have, my father tells me that his mission in life is to create enough bad habits in one hour that it takes me a week to uh, overcome them. So, and he's pretty good at it. So let's talk the cold, hard business facts Mm -hmm. of COVID. There are businesses going out of business. Yeah. Big time. Now, one of the nice things is for folks like you looking to expand is there's a sale price versus a boarding up. Yeah. Now, that sale price may not be what it was a year ago, mm-hmm. but still business owners can get some money out of it yeah. as they leave. Are there starting to be more locations available? Uh, I believe so, yeah. And I think I think that first quarter of next year, there are going to be a lot of small businesses available for purchase. We're going to get a huge – if this yeah. goes to the first of the year, there's yeah. going to be another huge round, yeah. Yeah, unless there's another huge round of uh, – government stimulus. I think so because a lot of businesses survived uh, the first part of this on PPP alone and that's all gone now, right? For the most part. And uh, if business hasn't picked up again, it's going to get ugly. Did you get involved much with PPP? I did. Yeah. Both stores did. So uh, did it serve its purpose? Yeah, absolutely. I I had at each location, I had one employee take a voluntary furlough and stay home and collect the, you know, enhanced unemployment and that was for less than a month for each of those guys before they came back. So um, we were able to stay open. So, and we, we took the steps necessary to keep the base full. So everybody kept working. The whole time you're looking to expand, and this is for any business, the third location changes a lot of the rules. Because mm-hmm. you can handle two. Mm-hmm. Not ideal, but, you know, going back and forth. But you can handle two. The third one's like the third kid. With one kid, it's his own defense, mom and dad covering one. Yep. With with second baby, it's man-to-man. Yep. With the third, you're like, I, I'll i try to watch these two. You get that one. Yeah. This one's napping. Let's keep them quiet to keep us asleep. So with the third location, that changes your business model, mm-hmm. doesn't it? It does. And, and one of the things that we've been doing to prepare for that is I, I was telling you earlier, we just had a full-time admin person come on. I've, I've been doing a lot of those things 
myself and I realize I'm spending an enormous amount of my work week on admin duties. And while it needs to be done, it's very important that, that those things be done right and the books be clean. Um, that's not the best use of my time. Uh, and so having that infrastructure in place to help with the bookkeeping and the HR issues and maybe some of the marketing issues and that kind of stuff. So developing a back-end staff is, is part of that process as well. A um, couple conversations we have with clients. One is outsource what you can't do or don't want to do. Mm-hmm. and also outsource the stuff that's not going to make you any money. Mm-hmm. Now, like you said, with correct books, you're going to keep your ass out of hot water, <laughs> but that f- prevents you from networking, looking for another location, grow, you know, finding new clients, stuff like that. Uh, and a lot of people, but, but I want to make sure I do that right, and we tell people all the time in small business ownership, you got to give up something to grow. If you are still stuck saying, if I want that done right, I got to do it myself, then you are making a mistake. You are slowing yourself down. Well, I don't say you're a bad manager, but mm-hmm. if you don't have confidence in anybody, that's a problem. Well, let, let me rephrase that. If you are happy with where you are in your business and mm-hmm. the size of your business and you're not trying to grow, then you can afford to have that kind of mentality sometimes mm-hmm. because you want, I want to do job X within my business then go do job X, right? But if you want to grow and scale, you need to be hiring people to fill those spots and training them and equipping them and then letting them do their job rather than looking over their shoulder because you need to be doing bigger things. So uh, Your guy in Garner is Jonathan? Yes. Okay. Jonathan's a mechanic by trade? No, he was uh, trained in the banking industry and got out of college nice. okay. uh, shortly before 08. So oh, nice the, timing, yeah, the, yeah. So he found himself uh, in the automotive repair business because that was the job he could get at that point. All right. Uh, All right, so that ruins that question. So let's <laughs> let's pick your best mechanic. Okay. Whoever he may be, doesn't really matter. But yep. could he or somebody with his exact skills own a two-bay store with maybe one other person and make a decent living? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean... Depends on how you define he'll decent. Work a lot. Yeah, yeah. He'll he'll be tied to the business. There yeah. won't be a lot of freedom. But and there are a lot of guys that are like that. But I mean, you know, a highly skilled technician owning his own small facility with one helper should be able to make six figures. Really? Uh, yeah. Because but very the, little vacation. Right? Well, yeah. But there's no service advisor that you're paying. There's no manager that you're paying. There's very small overhead. It's when you try to get to the six, seven, eight, nine, ten bays yeah. and all the ancillary staff that comes on board and all the additional expenses that makes it harder to, to you know, you're, you're, you're cutting the pie up into smaller and smaller slices, so you've got to make the pie a lot bigger for the, for the numbers to count. Is there a deal killer in looking for a location for you, either for the second one or the third one? Um, well, I mean, sure, there are several. I mean, if it's, if it's too big or if it's too small, if it's in the wrong neighborhood or if it's in a bad location, you know, if it's, I looked at a place that was another great facility in a terrible area, you know, had concertina wire. It looked like around the fence line, you know, and, uh, yeah, we had to put, we had to put the razor wire up because they kept, you know, cutting out catalytic converters and that kind of, I just, that'll be a hard pass. I don't want to have to fight. I don't have to be a vigilante crime fighter. I want to work on a business. If you didn't own the Garner store, and you were looking to get into the business because mm-hmm. your dad said, well, I'm just, I'm going to keep this. Mm-hmm. You need to go buy your own. Are there some stores you passed on that 
you might have bought because you didn't know yeah. why to stay away from those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you want, if we're talking about automotive specifically, if you, if by some chance there's a technician or a, someone who wants to open an auto repair facility listening to this, you need to find a peer group online because online peer groups, Facebook groups, whatever else are out there uh, and speak to people who have been in that position and ask them what mistakes they've made and what things to avoid. And then bounce the ideas that you are presented with and the opportunities that you're presented with off of those peers. And they'll tell you the pitfalls and they'll tell you the limitations. Um, and I imagine that's the case for almost any industry. There's, there's a Facebook group for everything now. Oh yeah. So, and I contend, and I, I've said this for years, even before I got into coaching was the smart, the people who want to be successful will be coachable. Well, so that's the next big step in growth, right? I think if you have started a small business and you are still the primary technician, be that electrician or plumber or computer program or whatever it is, um, and you've kind of plateaued and you've hit that ceiling, you need a business coach. Mm -hmm. And this is not a shameless plug for Wired to Change, but it can be if you want it to be. But uh, business coaching changed the trajectory of my family forever. Um, my dad started business coaching in the late 90s. Uh, and it changed our family. And I have never been in business without a coach from day one. I've always had a coach because just having, having someone smarter than you about business that you can run ideas off of is invaluable. So we've all had bad managers. And if you're going to hire somebody to micromanage them, you know, why are you hiring them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I need somebody to change oil, you know, do oil changes for me. But you watch everything he does, and instead of you moving 10 cars through there, you're moving six. So do the math. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you need to hire the right people. You need to set the company's goals. You need to train and equip those people to succeed, yeah. and then you need to get out of the way. And you mentioned this in the previous episode. Your guy, you sent to, your service manager, you sent to California and Carnegie. Mm -hmm. Went to California for some industry-specific training. Uh, and then he did the Carnegie, um, uh, yeah. course, the eight week Carnegie course. And I will, once they start doing live courses again, I'm going to send two or three more employees to the Carnegie courses. I'm trying to groom them for leadership roles because leadership development and training is just as important as, you know, if it's sales training for your sales yeah. staff or if it's technical training for your technical staff, um, you have to have leaders. Otherwise you'll always be in there doing it yourself. And that's where people run into trouble is they, they hire people a lot of times for the wrong reason. Well, I just need them to do this, but that's the wrong person for the, that's the wrong job to hire somebody for sometimes. Like, no, you need them to do this because one move will trigger three others, but you can't do that. Yeah. Get this one correct. H hire so. for attitude and train for aptitude. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of industries, you can do that. But you, got, you can't make people care. But if that person cares, you can teach them how to change oil, right? Yeah. Someone's ethically corrupt. doesn't matter how good they are at their yeah. job. Yeah. So you need to know those things before you bring people on board, if at all possible. Oh. So. And they'll ruin your business, potentially mm -hmm. could ruin your business. And a lot of people who don't own businesses don't realize that small business is our life. 
the yeah. government makes us file things that way. So it truly is our life. So it is important to get that right. So Mike, I've enjoyed this very much. Yeah. Go to carfixautorepair.com. Carfix has two locations. Uh, you are a third generation auto repair owner. You're looking for more. This is the first time we've had somebody on to talk about multiple locations mm-hmm. and multi-generational. I didn't realize I was getting a double hitter out of this today <laughs> when I thought about it. But but there's got to be a method to the madness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to put down your goals and then some things you're not going to buy, mm-hmm. like a bad location. Yep. You could be making X amount of dollars, but if it's a horrible location, that's one of the red flags, right? Yep. You need to know what your, just like you need to know what your ideal client is, yeah. uh, you need to know what your ideal next business is, if that's location or size or proximity to your target, yeah. whatever it is. So, so small business ownership's been pretty good to you so far? I love it. Can't okay. ima- I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. So. But you approach it as a business. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah it's, and you have to. Yeah, it's... Because uh, it is, it's... It it's it, it can't be a hobby and be successful. I don't think. No, no it's not a toy. My auto repair shops are not toys. They're not. You know, I don't have my you know sixty four Chevy yeah. in the back under uh, or my drag car back there tinkering on. It. That's that's not what it's there for. It's there to fix the cars in the community. It's there to support the families of my team. It's there to support my family. Uh, so. When you make enough money one day, you'll buy a pro team. That'll be your toy, right? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Mike Allo with Carfix, thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll see everybody next time on our Wired to Change podcast.